0: Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Media Sandwich. I am Kyle Martinak, and it's that time. This old house sure is looking good. Uh, it's it's Christmas vacation time, uh, not just because uh, we're watching the movie in my house pretty soon, but also my kids are at home on Christmas vacation, uh, playing with some Legos right now in the background, so if you hear some tinkling that's the Legos, it's not uh, Jingle Bells, it's Legos. I gotta say, my favorite thing in the last like week or two has been telling people that I put up my lights, because I still have a broken foot, so I always get this look from everybody like, wait, you what now? Because they picture me up on a ladder with you know a hard cast or my plastic boot or something, and that's not the case, I just put lights around the edge of my balcony, uh, which still looked pretty good, I thought, I was proud of it. But anyway, how's your holiday going, dear listener? I hope it's going good. Uh, But we're going to start out this uh, holiday edition of The Media Sandwich with what we always start out with is the video games. We have video game news. Guess what? We have a video game news item about the Federal Trade Commission and their decisions about a gaming company's motives. But we're not talking about Microsoft trying to buy Activision Blizzard. It's a Hanukkah miracle. Uh, (laughs) Well, not so much uh, for Epic Games, uh, the big old company behind Fortnite, a game that I've tried my best to play in earnest, but I just couldn't get very excited about it. My my thing about games is that even if there is no storyline, which is always, that's my chief thing is a story, even if there's no story, I need some kind of unified aesthetic or motif or... Just something that identifies the game with a certain amount of style or substance. And as far as the Battle Royale games go, eh, I lean towards Apex Legends because it has a certain world building to it. There's a texture, a, a unified concept to it from moment one. Fortnite, on the other hand, is most it's almost the most defiantly uncohesive of them. It's literally just like dumping a bo- box of action figures on the floor and bashing them together. Some of them are licensed characters from other things. Some of them are not. And the amount of licensed product floating around in it is uh, staggering. The unforgivable use of Fortnite as a place to drop a major plot point from the last Star Wars movie instead of just, you know, putting it in the movie. Look, I have no fondness for Fortnite. I really don't have any allegiance to it. And the FTC... Apparently doesn't either, because they assessed today, Monday as I record this, the largest fine, the largest fiscal penalty ever in the history of the regulatory body. Uh, Epic Games is going to have to pay a staggering $520 million for violating COPPA, the uh, Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule. The FTC ruled that Fortnite has collected personal data from users under the age of 13, uh, turned on voice and text chat settings by default. Both of those things violate the rule, uh, the COPPA rule, that's meant to protect kids in online settings, which has been a thing since like 1998. Uh, yeah, that was only half of the investigation, though. Like, that got them fined something like $275 million. But uh, yeah, the the other half, um, the the other half was focused on the quote dark patterns to trick players into making unwanted purchases end quote. So essentially, Fortnite was set up to make accidental skin purchases, aesthetic purchases, or cosmetic purchases. We say uh, too easy making accidental purchases way too easy, and then making refunds for accidental purchases too difficult. Uh, They also saved payment information on accounts that were registered as children, which isn't terribly good for the parents those credit cards represent. I'm speaking from experience here. The lack of a saved credit card number on my kids' tablets is just one of several safeguards against my checking account being ransacked. So, yeah, Epic Games put out a real well, we're not terribly sorry, because this is how virtually all games like ours function, but we respect the FTC and their decision, and we've moved forward with changing our practices and paying our fines going forward. Uh, Yeah, they're not terribly sorry, but they're really trying to paint it as, hey, look, we're being made an example of, but the FTC is coming after us as a warning klaxon for all other gaming companies to get rid of these kinds of things, that were perfectly normal before this week which i mean they aren't wrong but these are what i continue to call on this show unforced errors you know simple common sense things like one click purchases uh, that saved payment data uh, no spending limits for players under 13 the locking or disabling of accounts seeking refunds these are all things that have been fixed in Fortnite since that investigation ...that they already knew were non-compliant and could have easily been rectified... ...without a government watchdog fining them to fix it. But, you know, Epic Games, they made like $9 billion off of Fortnite in its first year or something nuts like that. So, this is a huge, gigantic fine, but they're totally able to pay it. And it was, honestly, it was in their best financial interest to just ignore these issues... ...until the government literally punished them into compliance... And that's kind of the problem here. A financial penalty is great. A huge one is even better. People might get fired over that big of a loss. People who might have actually prevented it and protected kids better. And I think that's good. I think that that's what needs to happen in order for companies to actually take this stuff seriously. But until... The penalty might actually interrupt their continued revenue stream, like maybe shutting down their service entirely until an investigation is complete, that kind of thing. I still don't think it'll be enough for them to really take it seriously. Uh, But hey, FTC, I know you're listening to this sub-basement-level podcast. Speaking as a parent, do Roblox next. Roblox gets around a lot of this stuff, I imagine, because most of their content is user-created. But the primary user base for Roblox is young, young children. And the word predatory comes to mind whenever Roblox is mentioned to me. So I'd sure like an investigation of how that app is doing with their COPPA compliance. Uh, I'd bet folding money on the outcome of that. So, yeah, uh, good luck, I guess. Uh, you know, microtransaction-based games across, across all platforms, you're... Uh, You're kind of being warned right now by the FTC to clean up your act. And if you don't, they'll probably fine you. And not all of you have the money that Epic Games has. So, uh, look out. (laughs) Anyways, that was kind of it for video game news this week. Not a whole lot going on. So let's jump into movies because I've got some stuff to talk about movie wise. We've got coming attractions that happened this last week. We got the news that two very different movies would be releasing in theaters on the same day this next summer in 2023. And both of them got teaser trailers this week. Uh, one is Oppenheimer, the very stately Christopher Nolan biopic about the man and the bomb he masterminded. Uh, it's very serious, very dire-sounding. Cillian Murphy's kind of horrified and resigned voiceover. It's all about how no one can really understand the power and the horror of his creation until they see its devastating effects. Until they use it, they don't understand the power that it has uh, pretty gnarly, pretty uh, earnest and serious. For Nolan, uh, pretty low budget, this movie, of like $100 million. That's low budget for Christopher Nolan. But I think this might be his most subdued and human movie in a really long time. But anyway, then we got a teaser for Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie, which... I mean, the teaser was a goofy reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was unexpected and i got to say pretty funny um pretty funny but very drawn out uh odd the movie is in like super color which i believe is above technicolor on the holy crap look at the colors scale but I have no idea if I could take my six-year-old daughter to see this Barbie movie or not, based on that tr- that teaser. And that's kind of odd to say. That's a really odd problem to have. But maybe when we get a full trailer, I'll have more information on that. Looks interesting, though. It really looks like they're going for it pretty hard, which... Good! Don't go halfway about that kind of thing. But yeah, uh, uh, Margot Robbie is, is in the iconic... Original Barbie like swimsuit outfit from the late '50s in that teaser, and uh, there's only maybe you know brief flashes of the actual movie, so it's uh, looks weird. It looks like a really weird approach to a really otherwise pretty you know basic idea for a movie. But anyway, uh, predictably um, this week at the box office, Avatar: The Way of Water won. It won soundly because it had no competition, as we talked about last week. Although, uh, oddly, it, it did not uh, swipe the floor as... Swipe the floor? Wipe the floor as thoroughly as it was projected to. They were talking like $170 million for the weekend or more, which sounds kind of pie-in-the-sky to me, and it turns out I'm right, because it only hit about $134 million, Still pretty damn good. Uh, it's now tied with The Batman for fifth highest opener of the year, which is something when you consider both movies are, like, three hours long. Uh, <laughs> so that means less showings, you know? We all know that. Uh, but it did really well internationally. Another $300 million, making it $435 million almost. Uh, yeah, it's on its way to that billion-dollar mark, which it has to hit, basically. It was so prohibitively damn expensive to make Avatar The Way of Water that it has to crack the top five highest grossing movies of all time just to be considered a financial success at this point. Wow. Wow that. Uh, But anyway uh, yeah box office analysts are pretty confident that the slower start is actually good. It's actually an indicator that folks are waiting for you know the holidays to hit uh, for good word of mouth. They expect that it'll actually sustain its numbers better than, say, your average superhero movie. This is actually a kind of interesting thing that I didn't know. From a statistics point of view, for most comic book superhero movies like the MCU, the preview night and the opening night usually account for, like, 70% of that first weekend's take. Which, you know, that makes sense. It indicates that the movie's front-loaded. You know, everybody goes to see it those first two nights, It makes most of its money in that 48 hours, and then the drop-off is really steep because nobody goes back to see it again. Avatar 2 here, mind you, uh, the preview night and the opening night made up about 53% of the opening weekend take, which indicates that it's not front-loaded, that it, it might have better sustained numbers for the next week or two, because not as many people saw it in that first night. And, you know, if you remember back in 2009, that was the case with the first Avatar as well. It didn't have a gigantic opening weekend, but it sustained really impressive numbers for the next few weeks once that word of mouth got out that it was visually just tasty, which it was. Uh, But anyway, plenty of people are like, eh, who cares about this sequel all these years later? It's way too late. The first movie has zero cultural footprint. It's just dances with wolves in space, etc. And hey, you know, I I can't disagree with any of that. It's all true. But you know what? Shit's pretty. It's real pretty. I have no qualms with going to the movies and seeing some low consequence, low expectation, real pretty stuff for three hours. That might be the only roadblock is the three hours. Might do my blood pressure some good, uh, provided I skip the popcorn, to see some visually stunning stuff, uh, regardless of the fact of whether or not the uh, plot is Oscar-worthy. Which, what does Oscar-worthy even mean anymore? Nothing. As I mentioned last week, I think awards are complete hooey. But, yeah. um, I'm predicting that Avatar The the Way of Water does decently for another week or two before it actually gets a a, a, stunning drop-off. And that means it's probably going to hit that billion dollar mark, uh, you know, worldwide, which I think that's kind of the that's the indicator that it did okay, (laughs) okay. considering the movie cost like a quarter of a billion dollars without advertising. Right. Like, I think that's what they reported was a two hundred and fifty million plus budget. That's so much money. But when you're reinventing technology just so that you can make the movie. Yeah, it gets expensive. Speaking of getting expensive, uh, (laughs) I I know I said last week that I was done talking about James Gunn's uh, DC plans, but I just had a quick note here that Gunn did confirm himself that they are developing a Superman movie, but that it's about an earlier part of his life, and so he will not be played by Henry Cavill. And that was kind of the big, big news this week, was Henry Cavill is not coming back as Superman, even after making that big announcement a couple weeks ago that he was officially back. Uh, Cavill himself put up a statement on Instagram, which was very magnanimous, very dignified. He wished Gunn and Peter Safran well. He expressed sadness, of course, but he gave fans a a real sentiment of hope and gratitude that Superman is going to continue on and that he got his chance to wear the cape at all. Uh, Seems like a good guy, Henry Cavill. He's, you know... I'm sure behind the scenes, him and his representatives are like severely pissed about this, but they're not being jerks about it. He's he's going out with some grace, but I feel really bad that he left The Witcher and WB told him to, they told him the people who were in charge of WB told him to make that announcement in October about returning to Superman just to get people a little excited for his cameo in Black Adam Uh, didn't help, didn't help that movie, and it sure made him look silly, and it lost him, quite frankly, the role he was better suited for. Granted, we don't know if uh, him leaving The Witcher is even connected to him coming back as Superman, but that's kind of the dots that everybody's been connecting, the idea that he would only have enough time for one or the other, he picked Superman, whether it was a financial decision or a creative one, he picked that, and it turned out he he lost... uh Geralt for no reason. If if the two things are connected. And yeah, I mean he's I liked him well enough as Superman, but he's genuinely great as Geralt. And now there's no take backsies, right? We're stuck with Larry Hemsworth. <laughs> and and I I don't know, Cavill is free to do whatever. Uh I guess Patty Jenkins could cast him in her Rogue Squadron movie, which apparently might still be happening now, that she's free from the DC engine as well. She talked a little bit last week about, hey, Rogue Squadron's not officially dead, and now it looks like I have time to work on it, so you might be seeing more of that in the future, but it's very nebulous and not very solid at this point, so, uh, yeah. Somebody on my feed the other day was like, you know, you could bring Henry Cavill back to life and, like, give him amnesia or something for mission impossible 8 just saying and i laughed because it's a joke and then i kind of tilted my head like well you know what fast and the furious got away with that exact thing the amnesia and and the the alternate personality stuff uh mission impossible sometimes has out and out magic in it almost so i don't know or hey you know screw that screw amnesia He's just a, You could just go with a twin brother scenario. Make him the good twin brother in Mission Impossible 8, and then when Tom Cruise finally breaks his goofy body into a million pieces, we can let Henry Cavill be the lead of those movies. You know, that Jeremy Renner handoff never works, works out properly. It didn't work out for Mission Impossible. It didn't work for the Bourne movies. The Jeremy Renner handoff never works. But what I'm presupposing is maybe it could with Henry Cavill instead of Jeremy Renner. Uh, Did y'all see that latest Tom Cruise clip, by the way, where he, like, yet again thanks everyone for going in droves to see Top Gun Maverick right before he does something insane at high altitude? Like, he just, like, falls out of a plane and the camera follows him in free fall. The man is gonna die for the sake of a movie stunt one day. And I think that might be the way he wants to go. So power to him i guess but anyways oh wait hold the phone stop the dang podcast i'm now reading that henry cavill has signed on to a warhammer 40,000 series with amazon uh not just as a star but also as an exec producer he uh he helped secure the rights to the property along with vertigo entertainment so hey not all is lost he he got a pretty decent consolation prize there Henry Cavill's a big Warhammer fanboy, so this is probably the most excited he's been for a project in a long time, honestly. I can only imagine he'll be on camera when that show happens sometime in the next several years as a, uh, you know, main character. Uh, they just got the rights, so it's not even a tangible thing at all yet. It's just the rights. That's all they have at this point, point, but uh, and that means it's Definitely not his next project. But hey, it's nice. It's nice that he got something. I'm glad to see him get a win after getting Charlie Brown footballed, you know? Friggin' Amazon and and fantasy properties, man. It's crazy. They've got so many of them now. And I understand those are the two things Amazon is doing with their television projects. It's epic fantasy adventures and uh, airport... Paperback uh, mysteries That's the two things that they adapt It's funny But anyway, let's move out of movies And let's talk about comic books For just a brief minute Uh, I talked a little bit recently About the glut of comic industry Freelancers who have been suffering From late or incomplete Payments from publishers For their work lately Um, I was talking specifically about Oni Lionforge during that, uh, but apparently, per a piece on uh, comicsbeat.com, which is where I go for a lot of my comic book industry news, uh, but also a report from graphicpolicy.com this last week, uh, both of them mentioned that it's an issue hitting lots of publishers in the last year, and freelancers are getting kind of tired of being quiet and polite about it. They're all starting to come onto social media and say, hey, this is a thing that's happening all over the industry, and it's really bad. Uh, the two companies that were mentioned by name in these pieces are Aftershock Comics and, uh, especially painful for me, Valiant. Valiant Comics, which I love. We've, I've talked about them a lot in the past. Aftershock released a statement basically amounting to, hey, look, we have problems getting payment from those that owe us, As soon as we get it, we'll make good. But in the meantime, no one's getting, no one is going unpaid. We are paying. We're just, you know, paying them grossly late, like ridiculously grossly late or not full payments, Uh, like reports of five to 10 weeks late, or in the worst cases, uh, other mentions were six months to a year without pay for a project. That's beyond the pale that's a bridge too far that is crazy uh but valiant for their part have slowed their output recently down to only one comic book a month which wow that's a bad indicator that kind of proves that they might be folding pretty soon and uh reportedly they've gone so far as to pursue optioning a creator's book without any discussion of payment or any discussion of their ability to pay for it which is also nuts um i can't believe that they would pursue something without having a a guarantee of payment but things are getting dark all over the industry writer and artist uh will robson actually stated that the biggest company this is a quote from him the biggest companies in the business are now delaying payments regularly now if he's being literal there he means the publisher's You know, the two that are owned by Warner Discovery and Disney, correct? And if that's the case, oof, that's bad. That's really bad. Print media sales have been terrible this last year. Uh, Like, even more so, apparently, than they have been on the slowly downward trend that they've been forever, right? Since the invention of the internet. But this is a big result, is that freelancers are getting screwed. And... Uh, the ComicsBeat.com piece did note that uh, one of their people, uh, one, of, one of the uh, folks behind ComicsBeat.com was in a uh, podcast episode with one of these conversations about freelancer pay, and she mentioned that uh, freelancer rates in the comic book industry haven't significantly changed in almost two decades so that's another part of it is that freelancers have not gotten like an, an inflation increase in 20 years, which is, I mean, wow, I had no idea. This sure seems like, well, I mean, among other things that this might be a really bad indicator of, it does seem like small publishers might be going away at a rapid rate which is alarming and sad. Uh, I really don't want to see Valiant go away. But if they're down to one comic book a month, they're pretty much already gone, right? That's terrible. That's really bad for a a company that when they came back 10 years ago, they were like, you know, kaboom, here's 15 comic books every, you know, three weeks or so, just, you know, knocking them out out of the park one by one. And now they're down to one book. And it's probably not even one book that's selling, you know, decently. That's bad. Uh oh, so sad. Uh, sad, but I guess predictable. And speaking of sad and predictable, we're going to shift out of comic books and we're going to shift to TV uh, on a sad but predictable note, which is that Netflix killed Blockbuster. Uh, I mean, that that happened about 15 years ago when Netflix killed the company Blockbuster, but I mean uh, specifically the Blockbuster Workplace sitcom about the last surviving Blockbuster store, the one that starred Randall Park and Melissa Fumero. Uh, if you remember a couple of weeks back, I said that I tried to watch it and I got about through one, two episodes and it just didn't work for me. I thought it was really bad and uh, I predicted that it would not get past the season two. Uh, yeah. Turns out they didn't even give it the Netflix courtesy flush with an abbreviated second season or anything. It's gone after this first season. Every single comment I found reacting to this news was like, Well, yeah, I tried it and I didn't laugh very much. For a sitcom, it's not very funny. And the romance is way too much of the show. And maybe, everybody said this, maybe instead of this high-concept thing where the store somehow survives in the TikTok era... With six employees working shifts together at the same time, which if you've ever worked at a Blockbuster past 9-11, that just plain didn't happen. You'd get three blue shirts at most at a time. But instead of this crazy high concept, couldn't you just set the show in the heyday of Blockbuster in like 1997 or something? And yeah, it's true, if they had gone after the nostalgia points, they might have had something with this. And they could have used the same cast, it could have been just as fun, if not more fun, because it was set during the era where everybody went to blockbuster, and it would make more sense to have a full crew of six characters for the ensemble. Uh, But the problem with that, kids, is that the show only got greenlit in the first place because it was part of an overall deal with the folks behind that uh, the last blockbuster documentary, right? Part of bringing that doc to Netflix was the option to develop it into a fictional piece of content, right? So this sitcom's fundamental DNA depended on the very specific premise of it being the last blockbuster store in present day. So really, it's corporate synergy that's the downfall of a potentially entertaining bit of television. And between Netflix canceling Blockbuster and Corporate Synergy being the reason it wasn't very good in the first place, that's all just way too poetic for me. (laughs) Because that's honestly the reason why Blockbuster wasn't that great of a company in the first place. But yeah, uh, so fare thee well, Blockbuster. We barely knew ye because ye ye weren't great. Uh, (laughs) But anyway... Uh, moving on in television news, Amazon uh, has ordered a God of War series. Now, I talk a lot about video game to streaming television uh, adaptations because it's a thing that's happening a lot now. We've got The Last of Us coming in the next couple of weeks on HBO. Halo is on Paramount Plus, and it's one of the reasons why they've gained some traction in the streaming world. Uh, we've got, now got God of War on Amazon. Meanwhile, there's a Bioshock movie coming to Netflix. Amazon is also developing a Fallout series. Netflix, I guess, is going to do Horizon, the Horizon series. Uh, They already gave Resident Evil a try over there. And I kid you not, this is the one that makes me laugh so hard. Peacock is developing a Twisted Metal series that sounds really strange. I mean, it's Twisted Metal, so really strange sounds like it fits, but still... Twisted, ugh, (laughs) that's so weird. It's like, it's like a Death Race 2000 kind of thing, but with the Twisted Metal characters. There's a character in the Twisted Metal games that's just a guy who holds on to two giant wheels and rolls around. His name is Axel. I can't, like, I just picture them doing that in a live action series on Peacock. And I can't stop laughing about it. I love the Twisted Metal games when they came out. Those were a lot of fun. I'm not sure what kind of a television show they're going to make, though. That's a very strange choice. But anyway, I keep ranting about a Tomb Raider series. I would like to see a Tomb Raider streaming series. It would work better than it would a movie, in my opinion. But I keep forgetting about Disney+. Plus. Hey, when are they going to join the fray? They own LucasArts or what's left of LucasArts. They folded the company as soon as they acquired it but they own all of those properties why can't we get a monkey island animated series or grim fandango i guess probably because those aren't nearly as high profile not many people would be excited to hear about a grim fandango series as they would a god of war but anyway amazon has god of war and it's pretty likely that from the way the announcement was worded, that it's going to be focused on the father Son dynamic of the rebooted version of the series, the last two games, and probably will not go all the way back to do the original God of War series, uh, which makes sense. because those two new generation games, uh, God of War uh, 2018 or whichever it was, and whichever year it was, and then Ragnarok from this year, From what I've heard, they have terrific character development, really beautiful plot, uh, you know, gorgeous settings, of course. And then the old ones are like, (laughs) you know, the old God of War games are terrific hack and slash games, beautiful aesthetics, very, very cool premise, but they're not really nuanced stories. I don't know how you would glean a whole lot of plot out of those three games, but. Yeah, uh look forward to the God of War series on Amazon Prime sometime within the next few years. They just they just announced it, so that means it's probably not coming anytime soonish. And we've got another news story again about something that's not coming nearly as soon as you would expect it to. Uh, we've got a first look at some promotional photos of the new Doctor Who. Now, I know I've got at least one person listening to this show who is a Doctor Who fan. This one's for you. Uh, Anyway, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for anybody who's not up to date on Doctor Who's recent events. Uh, Jump ahead like two minutes from now if you don't want to hear it. I'll give you like three, two, one. Uh, Back in October, Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor regenerated, and confusingly did not transform into Shuri Gatwa, the actor from Sex Education who was tapped to be the next Doctor. Instead, she regenerated into David Tennant, who was the 10th Doctor. And according to Russell T. Davies, who by the by is one of the old showrunners from that era who's returning to be the new showrunner, Uh, Russell T. Davies confirmed that Tennant is uh, the 14th Doctor here. We didn't go backwards to 10. This is the 14th Doctor, which is confusing and weird, while Shuri Gatwa is actually going to be the 15th Doctor. So yeah, okay, I'm quite a few years behind, so I'm not sure what any of this means, but it's definitely a swerve that no one expected. So yeah, uh, okay. It sure brings new meaning to I don't want to go, doesn't it? uh tenant's new run on the show begins November of 2023 so no word on when shooty gotwa actually will take over but there appears to be a long-running plan going on here if that's any indicator and that hey a long-running plan should be taken as somewhat comforting right at least on paper uh yeah so that's what's going on in the world of Dr who but at, at any rate uh what we did get recently were some photos of Gatwa as the doctor in his new signature outfit and alongside millie gibson as his companion uh ruby sunday is the character's name so yeah uh shooty Gatwa's outfit as the doctor totally slaps in my opinion it's a very distinct like brown plaid or maybe just brown striped uh suit i couldn't really tell what the pattern was perfectly but It's uh, this really kind of flashy, cool-looking brown suit over an orange crewneck shirt. And he's rocking a collection of rings on his fingers as well. It's undeniably cool-looking. It's a lot less busy than Jodie Whittaker's aesthetic. Her doctor kind of dressed, you know, a little bit scattershot, a little bit goofy and fun. And, yeah, this is a lot more, like, sleek and stylish. And for cosplayers, it seems really handy how easy it'll be to approximate This look, though probably difficult to replicate it entirely faithfully, it's the most designer-looking suit I've ever seen on The Doctor. Uh, The suit jacket's really long, too. It's not, like, duster length, but it's halfway there almost. Like, it's way past the waist, way down, like, mid-thigh, which is cool. It looks very cool and and sci-fi-ish, but for fans, it's going to require some custom work to get it looking right, I would imagine. But I like it. I think he's a very stylish looking doctor thus far from these photos. And yeah, maybe I should jump back into Doctor Who. I mean, Disney Plus got the international streaming rights to it, right? So uh, yeah, I have all the excuse I need uh, to jump back into that. But anyhow, um, that's actually all I had for you this week. It's a very short episode this time around. And uh, sometimes that's a gift, too. That's my (laughs) that's my holiday gift. To you is a short episode of the podcast, but don't you worry. Later on this week, we have the fabled bonus episode that I talked about last week, wherein I go to the library with an old buddy and we recommend some stuff to each other in real time and try to sell each other on consuming it. Uh, I've been consuming the stack of stuff that he sent me away with, and I've been having a really great time stepping out of my comfort zone and getting into some manga and some anime, so it's been really fun. Uh, but listen for that episode later on this week and uh, thank you for tuning in and hanging out as always. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show to rate and review the show in your app of choice and send me any news tips or recommendations or rebuttals or anything you've got to uh, media sandwich show at gmail.com or over at Twitter at media underscore sandwich or on Hive Social. It's back, baby! Hive Social lives again. It's alive. Uh, I'm media. I'm at media sandwich on there, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only at media sandwich on there. Um, that's a problem with Hive is that uh, handles aren't unique, which is weird. Uh, hopefully, they're gonna fix that. But, anyways, do be a gem and uh, click on some blog posts as well over on www. Dot .media-sandwich.com if you're in need of something to read while cozying up to the fireplace this winter. And uh until we meet again, uh I am Kyle Martinak and I'm going to go get a sandwich.